Tom Hanks, arguably the greatest actor of his generation. Tom goes, what's wrong? And I go, Ariana, I want to tell him? And she looks at him and she goes, you're dead. There we go. Brilliant. Yeah, this is this is uh, Howie Mandel does stuff. I'm Howie Mandel, and my daughter Jacqueline Schultz, who is my co-host and uh, somebody that you know, our guest Scooter Braun, is here. And Jacqueline Schultz has a sore throat, so she's not allowed anywhere near me. So she's on—I uh, don't know what she's on, but she's hooded and at home, right? Juan, with a yeah. horrible connection. Yeah. Yeah. Look at that. You have a sore throat and static. That's really, I know. yeah, you have bad Wi-Fi. I'm going to be on mute. I'm going to be on mute. Go on mute. Time, so Go you on mute. To, okay. no, I, I want you, I want delayed conversation. That's what I want. Yeah. I want to ask you a question. You have a question for my no, dad? I, I just want to say, how are you? You feeling okay? I'm, I'm okay. I'm sick, but I came on just to say hi to you because I miss you. Well, I miss you too, but now you have to stay because that wasn't delayed. Oh. The internet just started to work. Oh, Okay. So stay, hang on. I'm going to stay, but I'm uh, going to mute myself. Okay, mute yourself. But when you want to talk, you can speak up. I'm sure you have questions and information. I actually met Scooter through you and your husband, right? The first yeah. time I met yes. was through Alex and that. But I, I was aware of you, Scooter, uh, before that. Like the world is aware. And I'm fascinated by you. Okay. And have been. No, 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 no. Because, well, first of all, so you're a young guy going to school in Atlanta, the yeah. son of two dentists. You yeah. have very nice teeth. You have, Thank uh, you. Yeah. Was that forced upon you or did you uh, have a... I think it was forced upon me a little bit. Yeah. You know, it's, it, it, you, they got it. I'm like an advertisement. Yeah. So when you grow up with dentists yeah. and you lose a tooth, did you believe in the tooth fairy or did they give you... No, no, I think I think I believed in the tooth fairy a little bit. And then obviously I would stay up and catch them so that I didn't. Right. Um, but but then, when uh, the tooth fairy is an orthodontist and a dentist. I got really upset when my mom tried to give like toothbrushes along with Halloween candy. <laughs> like that wasn't okay. He needs to be closer Scooter, to the mic. Could you get the mic about six inches closer, please? Sure. I said, um, I said, I got a little upset with my mom when she tried to give away toothbrushes with like Halloween candy. Yeah. But, what kid doesn't love floss? But I did like going to her office and that little uh, spray gun where you get the air in the water. Me and my yeah. brother would have little fights with that. With dental she, equipment. With dental equipment when she wasn't looking. Wow. So now you you grow up in kind of. Uh, a normal household. You're going to college in Atlanta. How do you meet uh, Jermaine Dupree? Wasn't that your entree into this business? Yeah, my my entree first, I was throwing parties to make money. Um, I didn't like being broke. So actually, first I sold fake IDs. Wait, um, that's great. Yeah, my, uh, my buddy made really good New York fake IDs, and I thought he had a horrible business plan on how to distribute them, and he would get caught. What were you in college for? Um, I was in college to play D3 basketball, and I wanted to be a business and philosophy major. Were you, were you uh, pursuing basketball at all? Yeah, I was playing. I went there to play college basketball. But but with any hopes of... No, I, I knew that uh, the five foot eleven Jewish genetics um, had served me well to get to that point, but it was going to end there. Okay. And I actually, I don't think I had That's any intention of even playing four years because I kind of really wanted to be an entrepreneur and I was trying to find any reason to leave school. So what is throwing a party? Like what, I don't understand. Like how, so, how to, how's that money? Um, so what happened was uh, I was selling the fake IDs with my buddy. Um, he broke my rule on how we get caught. So I left. He got, what, a little, he got in a little trouble later on. What's your, what was your rule? My rule was we never sell on our own campus. We never keep in touch with the people we sell to. There used to be something called AirTran. 
That was an airline out of it, out of Atlanta. Okay. Um, and back then, this is pre 9-11, you would be able to, with the college ID, for $49, you could fly anywhere in the country AirTran flew. And they basically flew everywhere the Delta flew, so the whole country. So my idea was we should fly into state schools all around the country on a weekend and sell as many fake IDs as we could at that state school under fake names and then leave and wow. never be seen again and make a couple thousand, you know, thousands of dollars. We would give splits to the kids on those campus. We'd walk in with a gray fabric and a digital camera and say to a kid, hey, we're going to sell them for $100. We'll keep 80. You keep 20 to bring us the pictures and the names and, and the money. How did they know you were coming? They didn't know. We would show up and find a couple kids on campus and be like, you work. You guys need fake IDs. We'll be at this hotel. Boom, boom, boom. Get the hell out. You know, we're in and out really quick. And my one buddy thought a couple of girls were cute and decided to keep in touch. And that broke the rule. And after two months of doing this, I was done. And then um, I walked by a nightclub on a Thursday night in Atlanta, Georgia, in Buckhead. And uh, it was called Chaos uh, at the time. And uh, there was a guy named B.A. at the door. And I said, hey, you know, if I brought some people here next week, you don't seem to have anyone inside. Would you give me some money? And he was like, how many people could you bring? And I said, well, how many people does it hold? He's like, 800. And I was like, yeah, I can bring 800. And he was like, you can bring 800 people here. And I said, yeah. And he goes, and they'll pay. And I said, yo, what do they pay? $10? And he was, yeah. I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? And um, the following week, I went and made Kinko's flyers. Um, I had a high school sweetheart, so I was friends with all the girls. I wasn't a threat. I could dance a little bit. I was fun. And I had girls who were friends of mine pass out these flyers, Kryptonite Entertainment, because I was a Superman fan. Um, and 800 people came and we charged $10 a head and the guy gave me a dollar per person. So I got $800 legally. The most money I'd ever made was $1,500 from a summer job coaching basketball. And, um, other than selling fake IDs. And, uh, I was like, Oh, I'm really good at this. I should do this. And at that party, the very first party, uh, there was an actor who approached me named Jason Weaver. Uh, and I recognized him cause he played young Michael Jackson on this VH1 movie they played every year called the Jacksons. And, um, and he said, do you want to see how the other half lives? And I said, what do you mean? Cause he was shocked that this party that was filled with predominantly white kids from Emory university, even though it was multicultural, it was predominantly white. And he was shocked that they were playing hip hop music and rock and roll. Cause I was having my friend DJ, I picked the DJ and at time Atlanta, were Georgia, you already a fan of hip hop? And yeah, I grew up completely loving hip hop, you know, my whole life and, um, but I loved all types of music, but I grew up, I was a big Biggie fan cause I was from the East coast. And, um, what ended up happening was he said this to me and I didn't really understand what he was saying. Cause Atlanta at that time was very segregated as far as the partying scene, you right. know, it was like white clubs would only play techno music and black clubs would play hip hop and you never mixed. And it was just, it was a sad, and I didn't grow up like that. I actually grew up in a multicultural house, which your daughter knows cause she's friends with my brother. Right. Um, and he brought me to a place on Tuesday night called The Velvet Room. There was an Ethiopian immigrant named Alex Gidewan, who now today is the number one club owner in Atlanta, Georgia. Back then, he was a former parking lot attendant who started passing off flyers, who then, when I met him, was the biggest promoter in the city for throwing parties. And there was all these people lined up and rappers that I recognized and athletes that I recognized, and they were all paying $100 a head to go into this party. And I was completely shocked, and he was so fascinated that someone who looked like me was there and comfortable, that he was like letting me in for free. And I used to basically go on Thursday nights and make money throwing my parties 
and Tuesday, I would spend everything I had faking it till I make it to meet the rappers and the athletes. And Alex was training me on what I deserved. He goes, no more $1 head. These clubs, they need you. you they have to pay you the whole door. So instead of $800, you're owed $8,000. And he showed me how to do it. And he trained me and made me a party promoter. So you're a party promoter and you are in Atlanta. You're, you're still in college? I'm you- still in college. I'm 19. I'm throwing parties for 21 and up sometimes. And like I'm 19. And I'm doing all these different parties. And, and all, making like eight grand a night. Five, eight grand. here, and, and then all these you know, guys I'm meeting on Tuesday night, now they're coming to my party. Like uh, I had this nickname, Puff, White, White Puff. And Puff likes to remind me now. Um, <laughs> you were White Puff? I was, it was because I was throwing these parties and I had this purple Mercedes Benz that I bought on eBay for cash. Uh, that I used to drive over to that party. And I was when I tell you I was broke every Tuesday, every Wednesday morning I was broke. Tuesday, at, Thursday I'd make the money again. Tuesday I'd go broke again. Buying, <laughs> buying you know, like bottles a- at these clubs and, and like just trying to impress people to meet them so I can get them to my parties and build, you know, a business. And, uh, and I started to do very well. And then um, I got asked to throw parties for this up-and-coming rapper named Ludacris. Um, and I became close to this guy, Shaka Zulu, and there was a guy named Shakir Stewart who became my mentor in kind of the music business and thought I had more potential. And then one day, um, Jermaine Dupri came with Janet Jackson, who was dating at the time, to one of my parties, and he said, I want to talk to you. And he invited me to something he was doing, and he said, you have more potential than parties. And I was just turning 20. Um, I became the marketing manager at SOSADEF, later the vice president, and I dropped out of college. Of his label. Yeah, and I dropped out of college, and I did that full-time while throwing parties. Because he saw you throwing parties and he attended parties, he thought that you had uh, the acumen to have anything to do with the record business? Well, it, he, if you actually look at the history, a lot of guys started off the way he found me. I mean, um, Lior Cohen was a concert promoter, um, and and, a, and I, I guess through parties as well, and... Russell Simmons, you know, and was a party promoter and, you know, ended up doing stuff for his brother Run D, you know, with Run DMC and all these guys, a lot of people started that way. So Jermaine really at the time looked up to Russell Simmons and what was built with Def Jam. And he used to say, you're going to be my Lior, you know, really? you know, cause Russell and Lior teamed up, you know, with the party promotion thing. And, um, and, and he used to kind of reference that a lot. So you go and you start working for his record label, and you are the. Are you in promotions? Are you in? No, I'm marketing. Marketing, yeah, I'm, which I'm, is what you continue to do. Yeah, and 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 I wanted to do A and R also of like finding records and finding artists, which I started to do a little bit for him, but I was his marketing guy. What's the first artist that you found for him? His first artist was like Crisscross, right? Or his first artist, Crisscross, everything. I didn't find an artist for him, but he let me work on the um, Anthony Hamilton project, which a lot of people were doubting, and I got very close with Anthony and his and his manager Eli, and uh, that was the first platinum plaque that I ever received of a project I was a part of, and I was truly grateful. Like it's it's actually an amazing album. You should go listen to it, Charlene. Charlene, I will listen to it. So, so now you uh, you're having success. Charlene's the single. You should go listen to. It. That's like my favorite. Song. I will. Do you want me to go now and then no, come back no, in a couple okay. of minutes? You can stay. Thank you. <laughs> so, so now, what are your parents thinking at this time? Are they aware that you're maybe spending focusing more on? They're hearing the stories. Um, they're starting to get concerned. Uh, <laughs> um, I didn't tell them I dropped out for a full semester. Wait, you were out of school just doing this promoting yeah. and they think you're promoting and doing this with Jermaine and they think I'm still in school. And then one day my mom called me and she's like, whenever we call you, you're not at the campus. You're not in class. You're doing this stuff. Are you in school? And, uh, that was a tough conversation. And you had to tell them no. 
I, I told him the truth. I said, I actually haven't been in school for six months. Um, and, you know, I've told But look on my blue Bentley or whatever it is. <laughs> well, at that point, I was kind of like, I didn't really have much to show for. I had I had a little show for my age, definitely. Like, I, I got an apartment. I did different things. But, like, um, you know, it, I'll never forget. My mom was like, just promise me if it doesn't work out, you'll go back. Um, my dad really believed in me. He's like, look, like, I wish you did it differently. But, like, you know, you're going for it. And he was supportive. Um, the reason I dropped, I wanted to stay in school. You did? Yeah, I, I would have loved to have finished school. Like I talked to my brother about his experience and my other brothers and my sister and friends. And even I stayed in Atlanta. So my friends, I was there. I was hanging out with them all the time. I just wasn't going to class. Um, and I kind of was bummed that I never ever had that opportunity to get a degree from Emory. Um, but what ended up happening was my first semester I did well. My second semester, because I started throwing these parties and I was working all the time, uh, Emory didn't offer night school. They didn't. They didn't offer um, internet classes at the time. So my GPA dropped dramatically, and I got brought in to one of the deans who talks to kids when they're like trying to find out if there's a drug problem or if there's abuse or like why did you know you go from three point something to like the dumps. Right. And um, I went in and I explained to this guy actually I control all the parties on this campus and like you know I'm doing all this stuff and and uh, every Thursday night the whole campus goes to an event that I tell you know me and my people put together and I'm explaining it all. And he tells me the story of Robert Woodruff, the founder of Coca-Cola and the largest endowment at Emory university. And I'm geeked. I'm so excited. I'm like, what is that story? Just that he was this entrepreneur who started Coca-Cola and built it from nothing. And now it's the largest endowment. And you know, the, the Woodruff center is the biggest building on the campus and the largest endowment to the universities from Coca-Cola. And I'm sitting there thinking, this is an entrepreneurial story. This guy gets me. He's going to help me. He's going to get me into Goizeta Business School here in Emory and like get me with the right dean. And and he looks at me in the end. And I'm so excited. And he says, so the chances of you being like Robert Woodruff are one in a billion. <laughs> <laughs> and he says, uh, but if you have a em- degree from Emory University and then you go after these pursuits, you have a much better chance of succeeding. So are we going to get this back on track? And instantly I knew. And I said, absolutely. And he goes, all right, are we going to get you back in class? And I said, actually, I'm going to withdraw. You told him right there. Right there. I believe that that, you know, listen, I'm a guy who doesn't have a GED, but I, I think college for the most part is bullshit unless there is, uh, you know, a technology that you need to learn. You know, if you're going to be a doctor or a dentist or a lawyer and you need to learn law, but just business acumen is is probably a natural, innate I think I think college is great if you're trying to learn certain skills and you're playing a certain role within a certain business. I think certain people, certain entrepreneurs don't need college, but I also think college is more valuable for what goes on from a social perspective than even necessarily what goes on in class. Because when we're coming out of high school, we're such kids and a lot of us live with our parents up until that point. And then when you go to college, it's your first opportunity to grow up and be you know, independent independent and an adult and you're not necessarily ready for the real world and that kind of college environment of a community allows you to not be so alone in this big world and that's what I regret when I look back and I see my my siblings experience my friends experience I'm like man I missed out on so much because I went to work so early what do your siblings do um I know one of your brothers uh Sam works at Spotify right Liza's a dermatologist, so she needed college. Right. Um, Cornelio uh, works uh, within the State Department with his wife and kind of travels around the world. You know, he's been to different embassies. And um, and my brother, Adam, uh, was the founder of Pencil of Promise. And now 
Um, he was at WeWork for a little while, and now he uh, he started a new business that has to do with the environment, car- carbon footprint. Fantastic. So everybody's kind of found their path. So your parents yeah. did something right. So now you you are the you're working uh, with Jermaine. And on your own, are you also, th- th- it has nothing to do with the label. You're looking at YouTube and things like that. You're just aware of social media. Is that? Well, the, the Facebook.com launched at Emory as one of its first eight schools. And really? I wanted to use it to promote my parties without having to hire this kid each week to hack into the school emails. Wait, you were, you were hiring somebody? To I was hack? hiring a kid who basically would blast and each time I get kicked out of the server for blasting my party emails, he would go back in and like make the lists again and, you know, get my blast out again. So Who's I saw, this kid today? Uh, I don't know. I have no idea where he is. And, um, but uh, when the Facebook came, I said, oh, this is an opportunity to like reach kids directly without, you know, needing the EDU address. Right. Um, and I actually contacted Mark Zuckerberg, who is right there on the contact page. He put me in touch with Eduardo Saverin to invest, and I tried to invest to buy 10% of Facebook at a million-dollar valuation. And me and Eduardo went back for like two months going back and forth in this conversation. And I got an email at my SoSoDef address, I believe, that said, hey, it's been great talking to you. If you're ever in Boston, let me know. Mark doesn't feel comfortable letting in any investment at this time. We're going to launch 32 more schools in two weeks. Sorry. And the truth is I could have like flown up to Boston and like worked it and tried to like get in there and like... I never met these guys in person. It had only been emails. But um, my high school sweetheart and I had broken up, and she was going to BC, and I didn't want to go to Boston. <laughs> <laughs> just to stay away from her. I was just like, you know, I was heartbroken and stuff like that. So, um, but, uh, but that being said, um, when Facebook a year later started to take off and take off, and Peter Thiel put money in and all this stuff, and I'm like, oh, my God, I could have made a million dollars. Like, I was freaking out of my head. It made me start looking at technology differently, looking at platforms differently. So whether it be investing or whether it be watching how YouTube was being used, I wanted, I had all these ideas about this social media phenomenon that was coming, which led me to what I ended up doing next. Did you ever invest in Facebook? No. No. I mean, at the IPO. Wow. I did because out of like pure needing to be a part of it when it IPO and I put money in and I'm very happy I did because it, 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 you've done well. Yeah. Yeah. it's it's grown it's you know do you, have you ever bumped into mark and say you turned me down uh i i don't i i emailed to them but i don't know if i had that conversation i had it with eduardo oh you did so i was in singapore on tour um years years later uh with a client and he was in the same party we were at and i introduced myself and he kind of looked at me like my name and and I told him the story and he told me, he goes, look, between you and I, you had no shot of getting in. <laughs> oh, so you didn't really miss it. Well, that. you know, he, he told me that at that point, him and Mark had started to fall out. And because he was referred, because I was referred to him, I had no shot of getting in at that point. Like it wasn't on the radar at that point. They were dealing with other things. So, so now you're looking at social media and YouTube. When is the... W- you started is the first artist that you kind of know is it justin no it was ash when i did my own thing i had an artist named Cato. i had a, these artists called the bama boys i had this group called od and i kept trying to like find acts that i thought everybody else wanted and it wasn't working like i would you know i i got Cato on mtv spring break i got like this person on the, this thing with bet i got this person on the mix show at hot 97 but it just wasn't connecting and um there was a 
a, a program director, guy who chooses what plays on the radio right. at Hot 97 in Atlanta. And his name was Jerry Smokin' B. Um, and I don't think Jerry Smokin' B gets the credit he deserves for the entire Southern movement of hip-hop. Really? He, I think he, in my opinion, is one of the most pivotal person in the rise of Southern, Southern hip-hop. Is he still in radio? Um, I don't know where he is now, but at that time he was running Hot 97. The reason I say that is uh, Shaka had had his job before. Ludacris had a show called Chris Lava Lava in the morning. Right. He was the morning show host. He Ludacris to, was a radio host? He was a radio host. Biggest radio show in Atlanta at the time. Did not and um, he, it was Chris Lava Lava and Poon Daddy. That was the show. And that was before my time. So they left to become Ludacris and Shaka left to become his manager. Jerry Smokin' B became this radio program director of Hot 97. And every time he tried to get people for his radio shows, which is really important to these radio stations, it was all the New York and LA rap. And they just wouldn't want to come or they wanted too much money. So he was like, there's no way we can survive unless we make our own stars. Right. So he went off of what national promotion was doing. He went off of what all the research was saying. And he started playing local rappers. So the rise of Ludacris, the rise of T.I., the rise, you know, Outkast was already out there, but Outkast became gigantic. And, you know, more one after another to the point where in the early 2000s, when I was in the Atlanta scene, you would travel to L.A. and New York and every single nightclub, all they played was Southern hip hop. Like it was the biggest thing in the world and has continued to stay huge. And I think he played a very pivotal role in giving that music a voice. Um, and he, he and I became friendly because he saw me grinding with Jermaine and trying to do my own thing. And one day he sat me down and he said, I think you're really talented. Stop trying to sign things that everyone else wants and sign something that you want, that you understand. This episode is brought to you by Surfshark. It is. That's, you know that there's a cyber attack that happens, I think, every 39 seconds, if I'm correct. Yeah, cyber crimes increased by nearly 300% following the COVID-19 outbreak and over 445 million cyber attacks are reported in one quarter of a year. Okay, so just by using a VPN, mm -hmm. then you that protects you against possible cyber attacks. Mm -hmm. And that's what Surfshark is, is a VPN. Do you know what a VPN is? Do you? A virtual private network. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> but it's not only good for protecting you against cyber attacks. It's also good. It's your own personal security as far as people not knowing where you are. So say you're geo-blocked. You want to mm -hmm. watch something. I like to watch things that happen in Canada. I can use Surfshark and watch it in real time. Or I can pretend I'm on the other coast and watch something that is coming out, you know, at a later time. I could watch it here because they don't know where I am. Right, Does on like Netflix, right. Hulu, Disney Plus, all the other streaming services, you could watch way more content because you could pretty much stream from And anywhere. the beauty of this, mm -hmm. I'm telling you all the good things, the beauty of Surfshark is it's risk-free because they have a 30-day money-back guarantee, okay? So you can get the Surfshark VPN at surfshark.deals slash Howie, H-O-W-I-E, that's me. Use the promo code Howie for 83% off and three extra months free. Mm -hmm. Right? That's so my name Shark. is worth it. Go ahead. That's surfshark.deals slash Howie. Ta-da. And um, here I was throwing all these college parties for predominantly white audience that loves hip hop. And I go on MySpace and I see this kid, Asher Roth. And I'm like, here's this incredibly talented rapper who's in college and I got a hold of him. I signed him. I, 
I had another idea for an artist who would sing. I was a big Michael Jackson fan. Right. And Jackson 5, I was like, I, at the time, Atlanta, uh, Usher asked me to go with him because I knew him from So So Deaf and we were friends. He asked me to go with him to the NHL, NHL All-Star Game in Atlanta. He was introducing the Jonas Brothers. Right. And I go over and I see these people freaking out about the Jonas Brothers. These kids are losing their mind, but I'm not necessarily a fan of the music. Um, so I thought, man, there needs to be a kid who sings great angelic songs the way Michael Jackson did because that angelic voice will make you believe in love again before you got jaded. So I had this idea of who that kid was, and that's when I saw Justin, I'm like, that's the kid. We saw him just on YouTube. Yeah, middle of the night. I went on to consult. I was making extra money consulting other people. I was consulting Akon on another artist, and I clicked on Justin's video by mistake, and I was like, that's the kid. And so it's just a cold call to his mom. How do you get in touch with him? Um, him and his mom have a different last name. So mm -hmm. I was like, how the hell am I going to do this? Um, so I Googled the uh, companies in the background on the banners of the church contest. And I found out that one of these companies was only in a part of Ontario, Canada. And I called all the school boards of that area looking for him. And, really? And then they called his mom saying, this guy won't stop calling. She called to get rid of me. We ended up talking for an hour. And I convinced them to get on the first plane either of them had ever been on. And that's how we met. So she just comes out having not met you in person, just talking to you on the phone. She lands in Atlanta. And your idea for him was what? That you were going to, because that's a big ask to yeah. leave your country. Yeah. And he's a kid. minor. How old is he at this it, time? He's 13, about to be 14, maybe 13. Yeah. So you meet him. They land. What do you do I with him? I pick him up in the Mercedes. <laughs> in the color? In the, in the purple Mercedes. <laughs> yeah. And he gets in. He goes, cool car. Um, yeah. I take them to a hotel where he was completely obsessed with the idea that there was a mini fridge in his room. Um, <laughs> and uh, and I'm like, we're going to do this. And we just uh, we form a plan and... I start paying for his education there and get an apartment. So does he go? He goes to school. I get him. I get him like, uh, like online schooling. Like me and his mom, like we talk about, it, we figure it out, and we just. It's should, a story that he was living. Where was he living? He was living uh, in a townhouse. Yeah, in Atlanta. With I, it, just him and his mom. Him and his mom. I was renting it. I bought Aaron rents furniture for it, and that's where. So he, that's a big investment on your part, or I does risk, that come yeah. from the r r no, no, record company? I had I had enough money for thirteen months. There was no record company at the time. It was just me, Asher, and Justin, and I hadn't signed them anywhere. It was just me. Wait, you left uh, Jermaine's? I left Jermaine. I had enough money for 13 months once I found Asher and Justin to survive. Right. Before I went broke. Right. I invested all of that money into them, and at month 11, Asher wrote I Love College, which saved the company, and then I took the commissions off of that and doubled down on Justin. Were, were you on a label? At the time, we weren't, but then I got it from 60,000 views of Justin to 60 million, which in, at the time made him the second biggest person on YouTube in the world. And every label said no because they didn't understand it. And then uh, I was able to, with Usher, pull in L.A. Reid, and they gave us a label venture. But, well, how did you connect with Usher? Because I knew Usher from So So Def. Jermaine was his producer. And th did you and Usher start a company, right? Well, I said Usher, Usher was like, you should manage him, but... We'll do a production deal. I'll be a part of it. And I was like, I want you to stamp him. He's a super soulful singer. You're the biggest R&B star of all time. No one's had more number ones in R&B more than Usher. And he really believed in Justin, heard how he sang. Justin, there's videos that online, Justin like sang one of Usher's songs to him. And Usher was like, wow. And um, we were off to the races. I take a lot of pride in that, that I have that with a lot of my clients. You know, it's like Ariana Grande is a client, but we went through Manchester, that oh experience God. together. Like, 
that those kind of things bring you together with people. And I, were you I, there? Uh, no, I was actually meeting her in London, the next city. And then, so I met her and we got her to Boca and then we met and then we, we were there for three days and then we talked and then the courage to go back to Manchester and do that show and say, look, we're going to answer this. Um, and I was there when she met with the families one by one, um, which was brave and hard. And those families are incredible. That city's incredible. The fact that they showed up the way they did. Um, but whether it be that or other people, it just, I remember watching, um, what's it called? The documentary on, uh, oh God, now I'm, I'm on a brain fart. Um, um, what's it, um, the British singer, she passed away. Oh, uh, what's her Amy name? Amy Winehouse. Amy Winehouse, yeah. And I remember watching that, and the manager goes, it wasn't my responsibility to take care of her, it was just my responsibility to manage her career or get her on stage, I think he said. I felt like the father was the same way. And, and, but I was I was infuriated. I wanted to like reach through and like punch the dude in the face because I'm like, no one expects you to get everything right, but you got to try and care about people, you know? And it, I mean, what's it all for? You know, well, a lot of people would say, well, you, you know, it, you, you start off this conversation that we were having today as being the entrepreneurial spirit doesn't always align with your heart, you know, unless your heart's there for the money. So like even you talk about the Amy Winehouse documentary, I was more I wanted to reach through the camera and, and, and strangle the father more than, Look, you know, because he does have, you know, I don't expect my manager happens to be my best friend who I grew up with, Michael Rotenberg, who is like a brother to me. But I know that ultimately, or mostly people are, you know, these are business deals mm -hmm. and they're not family. Well, I said that I was bowled over by what you were doing. You were taking calls at, at, and I can't remember what the issue was at that time, but they were personal issues. And you were dealing with um, Justin on a very personal level that had very little to do with money or a concert that night or whatever, which kind of, I probably, to be honest with you, I probably over the years have taken it too personal. Like, what do you mean? Um, I've had other experiences where my team had to remind me that the other person doesn't see you as family. <laughs> like, like you want to get in there and you want to like, that's not your place. They don't see you the same way. You know, it's like where I, like I, I would be like, oh, we got to do this. And it's not my place. It is someone's cousin or family. It's like, it's not my place to jump in there. And sometimes I've had to learn like, that I can't go to that place. Do you feel, uh, you know, somebody like Justin Bieber, who I think it's tough for anybody to be in the limelight, especially when the limelight is that hot, but then coming of age in that limelight. And I think what he's had to endure and grow up in, I, I don't, I personally don't think I would have had the strength. Um, Do you feel uh, any responsibility? Like, was yeah, that, think, was, it, was it I'm guilt? Four, look, I'm 41 years old now. When we were doing that, I was 26. Right. You know, when we started that. So I was just like, I, I, you know, there's things I wish I understood and knew now. and But I didn't understand certain things about myself. But he's a remarkable guy to be able to come through that, to be the most followed person on social media and the planet through his adolescence. Um, right. And then get to the other side and get to a place where, you know, he's he's happy and healthy. Um and yeah, well, I, I thought it was amazing. You know, I, I think the fact that he has gotten and I've watched him now and I watch him, I don't know him, but I've, I've watched him online and he seems to have come through it. Yeah. And he's through the other side. He seems to have a really good relationship. I love his artistry now is is so much more advanced than it I was. I think his artistry, but also like his independence. Like it's, you know, there, there there's a role 
for all of us to play when a certain point when someone's younger. But I think at this point, he's a, he's a grown man and he's really taken hold. And, you know, when people ask me, like, what are you most proud of? I'm like, one, him coming through this and all he's achieved. But really, you know, I respect the same way I was. Like, you know, you get to a certain age and you're like, I got to do this. Like, I got to do this for me. I can't do this. Like, I, I can't be, you know, handheld through this. Like, this has got to be me. And you got to become a leader. And I think he's he's stepping up to become a leader and he's going through that process. And I think that's incredibly admirable and really cool to watch. Who is your toughest, toughest client? Oh, I'm never going to say that. Okay. Here's what I will say. Just like all of us, we have ups and downs in different seasons that we go through. So I have tough clients at certain times that they are the toughest at that moment. And you might ask me six months later and they're the easiest person to deal with. That's well, like being a parent. It's, it's, it's family. You know what I mean? You have moments with people and you go through stuff. Um, but it's, uh, it, the question isn't who's tough. I, I'm, I don't get too philosophical on you, but like no one at this point in my life, I've realized no one can cause me to be stressed except myself. So if someone's being tough, if someone's going through something, I'm choosing to be there. Like no amount of money can make you stay somewhere. No, like you had to choose what you want in life, what your definition of success is, what all these different things. So if you're super stressed or you're not loving something, you have to realize you're making a conscious choice to be there. Well, I don't necessarily agree. We can argue it. Let's do it. I don't, <laughs> you know, I don't want to, I don't want to. Like your daughter could leave right now. Right. She can. But, but, <laughs> but, but what all I'm saying is that your um, goal in life was to follow a path that you were passionate about. Mm -hmm. And whether that passion was entrepreneurialism, entrepreneurialism or finding an artist and watching somebody launch, um, uh, I don't want to talk about this is this is not a, about controversies, you know, and I don't want to talk about it and you don't have to talk about it. But I don't think that I don't think it's fair that and I don't think you've done anything to uh, create yourself as a target. And we just happen to be Jews, y mm -hmm. you know, so I'm just saying there's a, there's a thing where you didn't at, you didn't put yourself in that position. You're just ended up in this position. Mm -hmm. But how you react to it is your choice. That's my point. It's how you choose to react to something. You, you, life's going to give you, you know, you're going to make plans and life's going to show up. And then how you choose to react to something is how you choose. So if, if sometimes I'm staying in something, it's because I'm like, you know what? I have a sense of loyalty that I have to be there. I have to see this through because that's the way I'm built. That's my choice. If someone does something to me based on my heritage, I have a choice on how to react. Am I going to punch them in the face? Am I going to walk away? Am I going to address this differently? I get to choose how I react. And I think, you know, when I, when I say, oh, it's, you know, they did this to me or they, they're playing a role, but how I choose to react is how I'm going to define my destiny. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, you, I'm just saying you find yourself in positions. You're right. You're in control of how you respond to whatever. I, my, my, I, I think we're saying the same thing because what I just said to you was you make plans and life shows up. I think that's the point you're saying, which is right. You know, there's that line I always said from Batman. It said, uh, I think he said, um, if you do it right long enough, even you too become the villain. You know, and I always love that line because I was like, you can think you're going to stay in this place all the time. But like life in general is just a constant teacher of change. Like, no, you know, it, enough, it, life is going to change. And we sit there and think, oh, we're doing this. and it, But then it just shows up and something, you know, happens. No one ever calls you and says, tomorrow you're going to hit rock bottom. <laughs> like, you know, just you go through these processes. And I think it's. I'm personally feeling, and I have so much more to learn, 
that a lot of my life now is learning how to react to that change and how I'm going to endure that change and how I'm going to be a part of that change. Do you find that at this point in your life uh, that you're getting, you're being forced to change or to counteract your own personality more than you ever had to or more than you ever? Yeah. I mean, it, I, you're older than me, so I want to know how this hits for you because I said this to my friend the other day. I said, I feel like the first 40 years of my life was like learning. And I feel like the second 40 seems to be unlearning. <laughs> it's like, you know, I'm, that, that, that hits me amazingly because what I thought was important in my teens was not important in my 20s. Uh, the the balance that I, what I was striving for, uh, what I got upset about aren't things today that I got upset about or strive for when I was 30. And I think that life, as you said, comes at you and it keeps changing. I'm not... I'm, I'm probably, the older I get, the more my uh, shift has been toward others around me who I care about than rather than myself. Yeah. So when, as opposed to these things that I'm talking about, when, if I became a target for something, and I could be, I'm not uh, experiencing what you're experiencing right now, but I feel like I worry about my grandchildren and I worry about my children yeah. and I don't really worry about myself because I feel like I can take care of myself. So my whole life has kind of shifted to others. I feel, by the way, what you just described is how I feel. I, I'm, I'm, I'm confident I can handle myself. I think about how it affects everyone else. Same thing. Um, I think what I meant by like the unlearning also, it's, I felt like the first 40 years was learning all these things and now I'm unlearning the things that weren't true. And when you say- What's the biggest lesson that wasn't true that you think was- Oh, we're going to get super philosophical here. Um, that I wasn't enough. So did you, I think that's what everybody lives by. I think that that's why you buy the blue car, the blue Bentley. I think that's why people buy uh, clothes with labels. I think mm -hmm. that's why they post themselves on yep. Instagram with thirst strapped. <laughs> I think that's why you wanted to be an entrepreneur because yep. you wanted to do that. I think what made me great at business, you know, wasn't the best thing for like intimacy or friendship. I mean, and I had great friends. I was a good dude, but I was so, you know, I had Holocaust trauma in my family. I grew up a certain way. I was always afraid of tomorrow. I was always afraid someone's going to come and take this away. And I was, I was afraid of something that hadn't happened. And by the way, that made me really good at business because I was always able to plan ahead. It made me really good when a disaster happened because I could handle disaster really well because I was expecting it. But what it wasn't good was being present. And now that I got three young kids, all I'm focused on is learning how to be more and more present. And the more I kind of unlearn, the more I feel comfortable with myself and realize that like, if you like me, Howie, we become really good friends. You're not going to like me because of all these things I've achieved or things that I've done in my life. You're going to like me because it's my essence of who I am. You're going to be like, that's a good dude. And I think what I'm learning more and more is just to be comfortable with that. Well, that leads me to how do you know that's, are you, do you have a good radar up about why that person wants to be your friend or go out with you or just spend time with you? Cause I think we all do the best we can. <laughs> you know, I think, um, Look, I will say I didn't get to this point by not being a little bit of a hustler, so it's it's easier for me to spot it than someone else if someone's trying to hustle me. Um, but that being said, when I've gotten burned, it's always by the person next to me, not by the person who's in front of me. You know, wow. and um, so I, you know, but my thing is, you know, I can't fix somebody else. So the only thing I can do is, is just keep working on myself. Um, you've also, you know, um, been involved in technology. You were the one of the original investors in um, Uber. I wasn't original, but I was. I was early. You were early. I was early. 
Is that a good investment? It was a very good investment. Yeah. Do you get a deal when in ride shares? I, I don't. I no. don't. No. Do you have a Lyft account? I, I well, actually, I ended up becoming a Lyft investor later because I John Zimmer was one of the founders of Lyft. Went to high school with my brother. He was two years younger than me in high school. You have invested in in uh, Spotify. Yeah. Yeah. I was on a list with Daniel Eck, who's the founder of Spotify, when I was 27 and he was 24 on Billboard. And it was just in Sweden. And I called everyone on the list to introduce myself because I said, we're all peers. We should know each other as we continue our careers. Daniel said, I'm coming to L.A. in two weeks. We became friends. He let me invest later on. Wow. Well, you were through, through my friend D.A. Well, you're considered one of the top 100 mo most, uh, what, what, was the, what was the list? Uh, influential people. So that, was that the list you're talking about? All the influence. No, no, that that li the list that me and Daniel were on was a thirty under thirty in Billboard. Wow. So I thought we're all the all these young people. We should know each other, because what I found interesting is whenever I spoke to anyone older than me who was so called powerful, right, I didn't see them trying to build relationships with like someone else wasn't their age far down the road. I'd say, you'd ask them a question, they'd be like, oh, of course I can call them. I've known them thirty years, and I found that interesting that like their power came from their peer group through relationships and being there for people and engaging, engaging collaborating, collaborating. Exactly. It's like, it's like social media. So I decided like, if these are the, you know, up and coming 30 under 30, I should know every single one of them and they should know me and they should know they can call me at any point. Wow. So what's the next big trend in technology? It might be what you just showed me in the other room. The holograms, yeah. proto. Yeah. Maybe. I'll send yeah, you I a could, deck. I could see that in everyone's home and, and every single time people go shopping or movies and it's, you've got your hand in everything. I also met through your company because we're trying to do Bobby's World, a Japanese company that you've invested Korean, in. Korean. Was it Korean? Well, they're now my new partners. They bought our entertainment oh, company. Oh, is that Hybe? Hybe, yeah. Yeah, so Hybe is the company behind BTS, isn't Correct. it? Or yeah. was. Yes, they, no, they are. Yeah. yeah. And BTS, TXT, 17, many others. And um, Chairman Bang is my new partner. So Is, it, is that exciting? It's incredibly exciting. He's a great guy, um, a real big dreamer and guy who innovated. He was a producer. Uh, actually a music producer in Korea, who's the most successful music producer in the country, um, decided to start his own label. When he came to the United States, he was the most successful person in his, you know, from Korea at making music. And a couple labels here blew him off for meetings. And he said, you know what, I'm not going to go beg them. I'm going to go back home and I'm going to build something substantial myself. And he built one of the most impressive entertainment companies in the world. Wow, and now you are partners. Or they, yeah. bought, they bought your company, they bought they? They bought our company, Ithaca, um, I'm now uh, CEO of Hybe America. Um, he won't let me say, I'm like, well, you bought us. Like, I'm happy to. And he goes, no, 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 we're partners. That's what he likes to say. He's that kind of collaborative, collaborative person. Um, and now we have one combined company. Yeah, and you, do you have a say in what's going on yeah. over there? Yeah, yeah. I'm, on the, I'm, on the, I'm on the board and, uh, and he and I have our once a week phone call. And I saw of, you were just over there and uh, was it, is it a, like a, a talent show where they put together a new band? A so new we, did, we did our, our newest boy band out of Japan. So what you saw me in Japan was Hybe created our own TV show in Japan to create a boy band. And I was over there uh, on the finale as one of the three judges to announce the boy band. So um, w what I was... Uh, the like the BTS groups and things like that seem to be more of an industrial manufacturing versus somebody like Justin, who is an innate talent, as opposed to. So I think that's always that's always the the misconception um, when these big boy bands and girl bands become huge because they are formed in that way of like bringing these people together. Um, it's not like you know the Beatles who found each other and they show up as a band like a corporation 
does tryouts and kind of puts these groups together. But I, my argument is always the ones that become the biggest in the world have incredible talent behind them. So if you look at One Direction, Harry Styles is now selling out all these shows. He was in One Direction. Right. You know, um, if you look at Justin Timberlake, you know. In sync. In sync. Like, J.C. Chazé is an incredible vocalist. Like, the, the, if you ever watch In Sync sing live, like, these guys are incredible, incredible talent. So was Backstreet Boys. So these huge, huge groups, they have amazing talent. And if you go look at BTS and you go to one of their shows, these are incredibly talented kids that are selling out stadiums all around the world because they're that entertaining and that good and that talented. Well, so you just proved me wrong. You also... Uh, wait, wait, oh, your daughter has Jackie a question. Jackie wants to say something. Go ahead. But isn't it different now? Like, they used to be able to... develop. You even did this with Justin. You could develop an artist and work with an artist and really... Uh, like, the record companies would put a lot of money into them. Nowadays, with TikTok and everyone out there trying to write songs and blowing up, they don't really develop artists anymore, right? Or even bands anymore as much. Now they're just going for whoever is already big and getting the stream. Well, so I'll argue that too. So I think that it goes both ways. And it's almost like if you're collecting fine art, you're going to have things in art that, that are big for different reasons. And it goes the same for music. So I'll give you an example. Andy Warhol was huge in art because he was the first person, very talented, but also first person to do this mass production art. Right. So first person to do it, big part of art history, huge. Then you have your Adele's in the music industry. It's like, it doesn't matter what they do. They're just that good. They could sing the phone book. Oh my God. Then you have one hit wonders in the music industry. You have the same thing in the art world where they'll come, it'll be a huge, you know, jump in price and then they disappear pretty quickly. So you kind of see these within the entertainment world. What I'd say to you about development is when, you know, you look at Justin, yes, we developed him and, you know, he took time and he grew and we were marketing. But also like, if you look at the time Usher developed, it took Usher much, much longer. You know, he had to swim backstroke in the pool and sing to his coach. So he was ready to like sing on stage. Justin went from us on YouTube to a water park to three months later, Madison Square Garden. You know, so, you know, people, the earlier generations can make the same argument you're making. Development happens in different ways. With BTS, for example, they were in camp for a very long time being developed before you ever saw them in the world. And the reason their fans are there for them is because the company was putting up that on YouTube, the development the whole time. So the original fans got to buy into them as they went through the process. But so, I was reading about this group that you just put together on the Japanese show. And, and the, in the article, they said, and the fans are called this. So they already have a fan base. Well, the whole time they've been developed over the last year in this boot camp, the fans have been watching them. We, the content's been going up. They can watch them live. They can watch it. So they've been watching them. So they already have developed this fan base because kids are rooting for them. Same way when we had Justin originally doing his YouTube videos, I, I would always tell him, never say my name is Justin Bieber. If you watch all those original Kid Raw videos, he never once said, my name is Justin Bieber and I'm going to sing. And the reason was because I wanted people to feel like they were seeing something they shouldn't. What do you have? I have the cinnamon spearmint flavor, the B12 and caffeine toothpicks from Zipix. I'm also using B12 and caffeine. I have mm -hmm. peppermint watermelon flavored and it is delicious. And, and guess what? What? Like always, this podcast is brought to you by Zipix. Zipix. <laughs> you can always tell it's a Zipix ad when we sound like this and you can just hear us sucking on toothpicks. But I actually <laughs> think that this is a great product because mm -hmm. number one, You'll save your lungs because mm -hmm. I, they also have Zipix uh, toothpicks that have nicotine, mm -hmm. you know, so you don't want to, you could save your lungs because smoking is bad. I used to smoke. I don't smoke anymore, but sometimes you want that nicotine fix. 
or you want so that it's caffeine. So it's the cravings. Yeah. Yeah. And you can do this anywhere. You can do this. You can't smoke in a plane. You can't, but you can, you can put in a toothpick anywhere you want. So I'm getting my caffeine. I'm getting my B12. I'm getting my teeth cleaned. I'm getting my oral fixation done. <laughs> All this from Zipix. <laughs> Zipix toothpicks are long lasting and available in six delicious flavor choices. Delicious? Deli- delicious flavor choices. Plus, you can stop exposing your lungs to smoke and vape fog, like we said, because it has the nicotine ones. But we're doing the B12. Okay, so yeah. we use it on the podcast. Now mm-hmm. it's time to find out for yourself. So, how do you do that? You go to ZipixToothpicks.com today and use code Howie10 to save 10% off your order. That's ZipixToothpicks.com, promo code Howie10. Must be 21 or older to order. Zip more, smoke less with Zipix Toothpicks. Fantastic. Holidays are coming up. People are in a quandary. What should I get? I think that this is a gift that you can get anybody. You know, a family member, a coworker. It's good for traveling. It's good for work time. It's good for exercise time. What am I talking about? Raycons. Raycons. Premium audio products from Raycon. You mm-hmm. go to their website. These are, uh, they're like earphones. They're earbuds and they're headphones and speakers. You can get them all from Raycon. Mm-hmm. You know, and I listen to podcasts. Uh, one in particular, Howie Mandel does stuff on my Raycons. I work out with my Raycons. You know what I like? They're pretty much like almost custom. Like they're comfortable. They fit almost directly in your ears. They're the most comfortable headphones ever. Not, and they're comfortable for your wallet too because gifting them, you you got to love that they start at half the price of other premium audio brands. Mm-hmm. You realize that? I bet you didn't realize that, right? I didn't because they feel so good. So I would expect that they would cost more. So Raycon makes this uh, stressful holiday period even easier than uh, anything else with a holiday gift guides for everyone in your life, right? So this is, I just gave you a gifting idea. I hope you're, you're saying thank you. You know why I, else I like Raycons? Why? Because of the battery life. I still it? wear mine when I work out and they haven't run out of batteries yet. Wow. Yeah. So that is great. So it's got everything. It checks every box. And if you want to do it right now, go to buyraycon.com slash Howie Does Stuff to get 15% off site-wide, off of all the products, site-wide, with the code HOLIDAY+. Plus. And for the next month, Raycon will have a countdown to Christmas with a new pop-up flash deal for you to take advantage of every single day. By Raycon.com slash Howie Does Stuff. Mm-hmm. Right now, you can go to buyraycon.com slash Howie Does Stuff to get your 15% off site wide with code HOLIDAY plus free shipping. That's code HOLIDAY at buyraycon.com slash Howie Does Stuff for 15% off your Raycon purchase. Buyraycon.com slash Howie Does Stuff. Go get it today for the holidays for everyone you know. Boom. They weren't sure if he's doing it for them or his mom or an aunt is just putting this up. You know, you, you, you felt very special. You felt like this is something I'm not even supposed to be seeing. So what are you saying at the beginning of this podcast? I shouldn't have said this is Howie Mandel. What I'm saying is when you were a kid, I assume, and I'm just going to, I'm not going to try and date you here too much, but I assume it was vinyl. Correct? Yeah. Okay. When you were a kid and you discovered a group, you probably went to a vinyl store and you yeah. went around and everything else and somebody said, oh, check that out. Or you played something and you discovered something and there was a band that you heard on vinyl and it wasn't big yet. Right. And because you heard it in that vinyl store before anyone else had played it on the radio, 
that band could be the biggest band in the world, but to you, they were yours forever. Right. Ownership. It was that ownership, that feeling of self-discovery. For me, it was mixtapes. You know, it was uh, someone, a DJ would put out a mixtape and I would hear that artist before it ever hit the radio. And then when it became huge, I felt like I knew it from DJ Clue's mixtape. How or did you know all these? You're from Connecticut. Where did you get into hip hop in Connecticut? Well, first of all, Connecticut has a lot of hip hop, but um, does it? But uh, but also it's not really known for it. No, no. But it, look, I I play basketball, and oh. and um, my teammates, um, I had teammates from Harlem, I had teammates from Bridgeport, Connecticut, I had teammates from different. And the way I found out about Biggie was two guys who I actually went to basketball camp with from Harlem were like, "What do you mean you don't know Biggie?" And they gave me a mixtape. And six months later, Biggie's huge. And from that point on, I felt like I'm a Biggie fan. Let's, I'm going to change uh, course a little bit. Uh, Jackie told me about a, a great night at your house. You play? Do you still play Mafia? I love Mafia. I know you do. Love Mafia. So uh, you were. She went there one day, and it was you at your house. It was Tom Hanks, Ariana. I don't know who, who <laughs> else was there, but she said it was the best night. They had the best time playing that game. Now you're making. I got to bring the game night back. I haven't done it in a while, so I'm bringing it back just because of you. Well, this is what she said before you were on. She said, "And you're coming." Okay, you want to say something? Go, go ahead, say something, Jack. I want to say it was like my favorite night. I looked forward to those nights. It was so much fun. I'm bringing it back for you. So she said, <laughs> and, and I want to know if you think this is right. Is that a good idea for a TV show, Mafia? Oh, should we do that together? Yeah. I actually think Mafia would be a great TV show. Well, what, what she described to me and how funny everybody was and how much you laughed and how much you, you know, and, oh, and celebrities like playing. I think that is a great idea. The, the, By the way, that, did, did she tell you the Tom Hanks Ariana story? Uh, what did you, Jackie? Jackie, do you remember what happened? I don't know if I remember that story. I remember laughing hysterically at Chet because Chet always killed off his parents. Yeah, that was true. But do you remember yeah. th- there was one game <laughs> where the way mafia works is you're trying to figure out who is the mafia. There's right. two mafia. You right. have to kill them both before they kill you. And you're looking around and everyone goes to sleep. It's, I'm not going to get into details. Basically, everyone's lying to each other. Right. Trying to figure this thing out. Right. And Tom Hanks, arguably the greatest actor of his generation or one of the, right. um, is there. And we're down to three people. And Ariana fully convinces Tom, fully, that she is his teammate. And it is time to win the game because they are going to kill this other person. And they find the final mafia with one person left to go and they're going to win. And... She did it in such a convincing way that literally when Tom said, okay, we nominate, boom, you're the mafia and I'm the host, so I know the truth, Ariana goes, we did it, and high-fives him in celebration. And Tom is ecstatic. He's so pumped that this happened. And then I smile, and Tom goes, what's wrong? And I go, Ariana, want to tell him? And she looks at him, and she goes, you're dead. And he looked at her, and he goes, you're a genius. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. So that's amazing. And don't you think that'd be good TV? It would be very good TV. And it doesn't need to be these names that people know. It just, no. It, it's one of the most fun games. And, and it's just everyone's like looking at each other and trying to read the room. And But it, it would also engage the people at home, right? Yeah, because you're trying to figure it out with them. Right. Yeah, and I think we should look went. into this. I never thought of it. This is, this is great. That's Jackie. Jackie's Jackie, we're doing it together, hat. the three of us. Let's do it. I want to be a producer. Done. That's what you want to yeah. be when you And you up. want me to bring the game back. <laughs> And bring the game back, both. Yeah. Game night. <laughs> you're an amazing guy to talk to. You're, you're, there's so many topics, you know, uh, th- that I, you're an art aficionado. And I, I was at your house, an old house once, and the art, you, it's like a I like fucking, art. 
oh, no shit. <laughs> I saw things in your house that were just like museum pieces and and great. And and a kind of a, a an eclectic range of, right, taste. Well, I just, I, um, I, I credit my mom and my mentor for that. Um, my mom, my dad always was big on sports and Knicks and the New York Jets and everything. And my mom used to bring us into the city to bring us to museums and just make us look at things. And I didn't realize she was actually training our eyes. Um, and uh, then I read a book about David Geffen when I was 19. And later on in my life, I was fortunate enough to get David as a mentor. And David's one of the greatest art collectors of all time. And he gave me advice on collecting art and, and really compared it to also music and musicians and managing acts. Do you collect art or do you trade art? I don't, I collect. You I don't, don't sell. I try not to. You try not to. I mean, I, I don't. That's, that'll be for my kids. Wow. You know, if, if, if I run out of something or something doesn't make sense for me anymore, maybe. But, um, but you know, I, I enjoy it. Wow. And uh, have you ever... Have Daughter you, has a question. Oh, go ahead. But you also collect art, not just because of the value in the artist, but because it means something to you, right? Like, I remember every time you pass a piece of your art, you told a story about what it means to you or the story behind well, the artist I think, or I the think story that's, behind the art piece. Yeah, I think that's the secret. If you're going to collect, listen, if you're doing things where it's just like, okay, to make money, to make money, to make money, you're going to get to the top of the mountain when you make enough money and you're going to be like, what the hell is this? And I'll kind of answer the question two ways. Number one, I think the best way to collect is to buy things you enjoy. So I'll get offered stuff that like I know is going to make a profit and someone's like, oh, that's it. But I don't, it doesn't speak to me or I don't enjoy it. And I'm like, well, that deserves to go to a collector who's going to enjoy this piece. It's not for me. I'm not, I don't want to make money off this. Like, I'm not so, going to sell it. Like, I want to live with it. So that's the first thing. The second thing I'll tell you is, um, it goes back to the whole money conversation. I, during COVID, got to ask, I became friends with Jeff Bezos. And I got to ask him, I've told this story many times before, but I like saying it because I feel like- During COVID? My, my wife ordered a lot of things on Amazon during COVID and didn't become friends. How much did you order? <laughs> well, <laughs> but it, my point is that, um, probably not as much as your wife, to be honest. Um, but, but my thing is like, there's someone who I think cares deeply about people and is a really, really, really good guy who actually provided more jobs during COVID than any individual who also changed minimum wage when the government wouldn't for all his employees. Um, and I feel like doesn't get the credit that he deserves. And, uh, and I asked him, I was like, hey, Jeff, you could have anything you want from a commercial standpoint. What do you want? And his answer, I called the cheat code. He literally said to me, I want to evolve. I want to be better at intimacy. I want to be a better father. I want to be a better friend. Like I want to evolve as a human being. He goes, this is my normal now. I'm having a human experience that's just like everyone else, but this is my normal. And I want to evolve as a person. And I thought to myself, I don't need $200 billion to do that. So I really want it. Like I always think about that conversation. I'm like, each one of us can work on evolving as a person and working on ourselves. Why wait till we're at that point? Do you feel that you've made enough money? Do you chase money anymore? No, I, I don't. I, I feel like I, I feel I had a number. I feel like this is also important. Like I, I set out a number when I was in college. So I, I met a guy who owned a car dealership in Atlanta. Yeah. His name was Mike Dominicone. Right. Um, and I asked him, how much money do you need to live your life? And he gave me a number. And that was my number. Um, I'm not asking how much you have. I'm asking what was the number that you set out like that that what was the number that well you i think some people might hear that number and say oh that isn't cheap but each of us define our own number that's what i want to say it. everyone oh, okay. should have their own number my thing was um i thought when i got to that number 
I never care about money. Like I would never work or that was my number. And if I doubled that number, it's F you like we're done forever. Um, I got that number when I was 27 and my career took off. Things happened. I was 27 years old. And I always think about the fact that like I got to that point and nothing changed. The only thing that changed is I got really good advice that now you have enough money to implement more of the things that actually make you happy. Spending time with friends at a game night, you know, hanging out. I took my kid to a basketball game last night and my friends were laughing at me that like after he went to bed, I like started crying because I was so emotional about taking my son to his first basketball game. Um, and, you know, it's those things that you can implement more of because money can be an avenue to freedom or it could lock you up. And I always tell myself, I was unlocked at 27. I don't have to be like this anymore. And I'm working on that more and more and more because sometimes the business and the entrepreneurial spirit, it sucks you in and you have to like reset and remember like you're good, you're safe, you're fine. Like you can go do those things. And I think the older I get, exactly what you described, I just want to spend more time with my friends and my family. And I'm fortunate enough that like the friends I spend the most time with are two of my friends since I was 11 years old. Real friends. Yeah. Not and I have, I have real friends who I met later in life, but I got Yeah, two. but they're not there. They're definitely not there because of who you are and what you've achieved. They're there just because of you, because yeah, they, they were there before. And if anything, I, I have a text chain with a bunch of guys I grew up playing basketball with. And two of the guys on the text chain are these two friends I'm talking about. And then there's three more on the text chain. I have never been made fun of more in my life than what goes on on that text chain. And no text chain makes me happier than that text chain. <laughs> because it comes from love. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and you have a good sense of humor. You have more than a good sense of humor. You just have a good sense. And that Jeff Bezos line is something that just hit me really hard. Because I just think that that is, tomorrow you have to be different than you were today. Because tomorrow you have the experiences that you had today. And if your experiences don't change you, then you're not moving. You're not moving. And life is about moving. And I could tell you from somebody my age, it's and you probably feel it already at, at 41. It seems like yesterday you were 27. Yeah. And those increments of it feels like yesterday I was 19. Right. So you can imagine because you know, when you were 20, each year was a 20th of your year. When you're 40, you know, each year is a 40th of your year. So those increments stack up and just seem like closer. And as a guy who's 67, it seems like yesterday. It looks good. Your dad looks good. Thank you. Thank you. I'll hold for an applause. <laughs> Just... I have a question really fast. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you are known as having great business sense. You've done really well. I'd imagine that people turn to you and look to you for advice when it comes to business. You said earlier that you put like everything into Justin and it ended up working out for you. Is that the same advice you would give? That's scary. Is that the same advice you would give to kids or people that are listening to you for business advice? If you really believe in something to put everything in, to go all in, is that something you would do again? It's so funny you say this. So I saw this Instagram post uh, yesterday and it was talking about how it was one of these like make money Instagram posts by probably someone who shouldn't be giving advice. And they were talking about Elon Musk and they were like, Elon Musk, was part of the PayPal thing, and he took all of the money from PayPal and put this much into SpaceX, this much into Tesla, this much into, uh, I think it was another company. I forgot which one it was. Twitter? Um, well, not it was, it was early. And, he, okay. he, and they, they said he, he literally took the $100 million he made from PayPal, put it all into these businesses to the point where he had to stay at friends' houses because he couldn't afford rent because he put everything into it. And, like, and that's how you make money because if he had done savings – 
he would have lost 60% to, you know, to the, you know, recession or like whatever it was talking about. It was like, you got to go all in on your dreams. Yes and no. <laughs> like you have to assess where you are in your life and what you're willing to handle. And every situation is completely, completely different. Like I went all in because I was willing to starve. I didn't have kids at the time. I didn't have anyone relying on me. You're a 20-year-old kid. What yeah. is all in? All in for you is not all in for me. Exactly. And that's why I'm saying, like, when people say, is that your advice to go all in? Now, at the point I'm at now, I'm very happy that I'm very diversified. You know? And it, when, I got, when I got money, I started diversifying a lot. So, like, one thing can't knock me down. You know? But it depends on where you are in your journey. And if you're going to take this blanket advice that there's only one way to do it, well, then you're not really paying attention because if you talk to every entrepreneur, every single one of them has a different story. The only common factor is self-belief. The only common factor between all the stories is that they refused, that whatever plan they committed to, they refused to listen to the status quo that that, that wasn't going to work. Like to them, the, the rational was irrational. You know, the extraordinary was the ordinary. Like, it's the only way to do it. And I think that makes sense to me. But this idea of, like, would you tell someone they got to go all in on their dream? I don't know where they are in their dream. Have you done a TED Talk? No. You should. <laughs> you should. No, I, I think that what you have to say is not only interesting, but it's also important. And it's important not about being... Um, well, thank but, you, by the way. But I've learned a lot today, and and I think you're really—it's amazing, you know. And it started from not finishing college. You're probably one of the brightest people I've ever talked to, and and your philosophies, I think, are in line with what most people should be in line with. And it's amazing. And your parents should be incredibly proud that you uh, diverted from the—they're uh, they're proud now. I, you know, it's funny. I appreciate you saying that. And this is the other advice I'd give for anyone listening who's heading in this path. Um, the other thing that, you know, Bezos has talked about is, and he's talked to me about is you have to be okay with being incredibly misunderstood. You know, if you're going to do a path that is unlike other paths, if you're going to set your own path, you have to be okay along that journey being incredibly misunderstood and mischaracterized. And I've had that experience. I plan on having that experience in years to come. Um, and, and, just knowing who you are and having your own self-belief and self-worth is all you can really have because I, while I appreciate you saying that, I have to be okay with the next person not saying that and I can't be defined by either of you. Right, but it's kind of like the same, Bezos is telling you the same thing as your first mentor told you in that club where he said you're trying to buy into music that you think is going to sell. Correct. Why don't you buy into music that you like? Yeah. And just because you like it doesn't mean it'll sell, but you have a better chance. That's the path of your own passion. Right? I can describe it better. Go ahead. You don't like the way I describe it. No, no, I think, no, you, you no, nailed okay. it. You nailed it. The only, <laughs> the only difference in, in my journey is that um, along that way, you asked me a while ago, you said, what is that lie? And I said that I'm not enough. That's the thing that I've been working on and, and getting to a really good place. And I think for so long, I didn't feel like I was enough. So I built Scooter. I built this character to be successful and all the things that I thought define success and define happiness. And I was building this life for this idea that if I'm that, if I achieve these things, if I'm that, and the outside world tells me I'm that, then I'm enough. And then life shows up and it doesn't allow you to live your plan on the perfect pedestal that you plan for yourself. 
and things go awry and things go wrong and you know uh people show up differently than you expect you show up differently than you expect like just things happen and then you get to a place where you have a conscious choice and that's that's where i said i can't be defined by anything i have to be defined by myself because i had to realize that like scott my real name that little kid created that persona created it because that's what he thought it was and the truth was that text chain i just talked to you about with my buddies they call me scott they don't give a crap what i created in the world and what defines me and what anything else and that's why when jeff said you have to be okay being misunderstood he was what do you think he was trying to tell me was this has to be for you and the people that you love because this is only your journey and i now have gotten to a place where like having all these things happen and then certain aspects of my life not going the way that i wanted it felt like everything was crashing because everything had to be perfect and over the last three years i've really done all this work to understand it had to be imperfect for me to realize that it was never about that that it was always about we're on we're out here to enjoy the journey one of my favorite poems is uh, ithaca by kafafi it's actually why i named my company ithaca and it's this idea of you're traveling through the greek islands and all the things you see on your way to the island of ithaca when you find ithaca it's not going to be what you thought. And if you find her poor, she did not fool you because it was never about the destination. It was always about the journey. And one of the things I admire about you, is we talked about Bobby's world. I first discovered you in my childhood giving me my favorite shows, like one of my favorite shows, Bobby's world. And then when I got older and I saw your comedy and I saw all these different things that you did and I discovered all these things, I saw all these layers to this person far beyond Bobby's world. And then I got to see you as a father becoming friends with your daughter. And it was interesting because you see all these layers, but at the end of the day, why I enjoy talking to you, why I always enjoy seeing you has nothing to do with Bobby's world or the fact that, you know, the Caesars, you know, couches in the other room or all these different things. It's, I just think you're a good guy. And I think, I think you're a good guy. Yeah, are you, I, are you happy? I think I am now. Yeah. I actually think I am. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think I am. And I think I go through phases, but, uh, I think I really am. I think. And I think you get this because your daughter's here. Um, I've never felt more fulfilled than being a dad. Oh, not, I tell anybody who is, it, and nothing changes your life more than being, and, and nothing teaches you more about life. Yeah. And everything else you do in life, nothing informs you more than uh, loving and being responsible for another human being. Yeah. That's more responsibility and that's more passion than you will have for any business, any dollar, any experience you have in life. I, I can't thank you enough. I know how busy you are and this means a lot to me that you that you showed up. And you're also, listen, all the work you do uh, I was in reading some of the facts that you and your clients, but through you, have done more Make-A-Wish um, foundation uh, events than any other make you know I, we do it a lot on AGT and I've done it a lot and showed up but you are responsible for most of those I know you work with cancer you work with politics you really are blazing a path on so many different levels in technology and business and music and pop culture and just in humanity so you really and I say this as an older person look at, looking at you and somebody who I met through my kids. I'm so proud of you adjacently. Thank you. That I even know you and get to talk to you. I hope we get to do Bobby's World. I hope it comes to fruition. Me too. And we're going to do Mafia. 
And I think Mafia is a great idea. That's Jackie's idea, and she wants to produce it with us. But you're just uh, such a joy and so important. I think that this episode of Howie Mandel Does Stuff is really important if you're listening to it now or watching it now for people to share. Well, and not I, not because I need, and I know I'd like more subscribers and I'd love you to comment and do that. But I just think that this is a lot of the things that you're experiencing and that you've talked about, I think should be heard by even a, a much larger audience than I have right here. So I'm asking listeners and watchers to just share this episode more than I've asked you to share any other episode. I don't think I've asked you to share any other episode. So I appreciate that. And I will say, uh, like I said, when I first met you, I was a fan, so I was super excited, but also a testament to you because what you said about kids and what you learned, you raised a really good one who's here with us. One out of three isn't bad. Um, but I, I, I thought that was the coolest thing about meeting you was seeing how um, your daughter and your son-in-law spoke about you. Right, and you know, this is my son producing this. I, my son, Alex, look in the window. That's my son right there, who I'm actually equally as proud of. That's uh, Jackie's brother is right there. So well, he Alex, built it. I'll ask you afterwards if you like him, and then we'll we'll really know the truth. But Alex, um, do you like me, <laughs> Alex? He's not even answering. Oh, there he is. Yeah, most of the time. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, wait, your daughter wants to say something else. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm the favorite. Oh, you are. But I'm the favorite. Yeah. <laughs> well, Alex, come back. Is your sister the favorite? <laughs> she made them grandparents. Oh yeah, that's one hundred percent. Yeah, that, that she wins. <laughs> yeah, you can, you can. <laughs> you can do it too, Alex. <laughs> Explain it to your brother how it's done. <laughs> well, thanks for having me. Uh, this is the best. This has been uh, Scooter Braun, and this is Howie Mandel does stuff. Thank you, Jacqueline. Cool. That was great. You're amazing. Oh, you thanks, really man. Are. You, 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 you should do. I don't know if you're. Interested.